0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. If you rent or know anyone who does rent, you'd know costs are soaring and there's barely anything on the market. New figures from PropTrack show the cost of rent
1: in Melbourne is rising twice as fast as...
2: Sydney and Melbourne have seen their unit rents up
3: 20% nearly over the past 12 months, which is staggering growth it's put pressure on the government to act sooner. We do acknowledge, though, that there's more we have to do, and more
1: supply is absolutely top of that list. That's what puts downward pressure on prices.
0: Housing, or the lack of affordable housing, is a key political issue here and across the Western world. And there are some common factors that link Australia's housing sector with other nations also facing a housing crisis. Shortage of rental properties, lack of rent controls, rental markets dominated by private landlords, rising interest rates, and a lack of social housing, to name but a few. But today, I'm not interested in the problems. Rather, I want to take you to a place which isn't facing a housing crisis, where up to 60% of the population live in social housing, with low rents, secure tenure, and quality accommodation and where essential workers, teachers, nurses, aged care workers, etc., can actually afford to live in the areas they work. Utopia, I hear you say. Such a place cannot exist in 2023. Well, it does. And the place is Vienna in Austria. Hello, I'm Annabelle Quince. And in this Rear Vision the story of how one city managed to develop a housing strategy that works for most of its citizens. It's a story that began a 100 years ago in a period known as Red Vienna. But before we get there, let's look at housing in Vienna in the early part of the 19th century, before World War I, when there was a marked divide between the grand palaces of the wealthy and the living conditions of the working class.
1: When we think about Vienna at the turn of the century, there is the one part of the story that is, you know, the beautiful palaces, the luxurious ballrooms, the parties, the amazing art. But there is this other part to the story, which is the working class. My name is Julia Anna Schrantz. I'm a Vienna-based historian. I research and work at the University of Vienna. And I'm also a guide at the Red Vienna Exhibition at the Museum in Karl Marxhof. So the city of Vienna changed a lot in the 19th century. It is the capital of a multicultural, multilingual empire. So the city has a very diverse population, people from all over the empire. Between 1850 and 1910, the city's population grows to over 2 million. And this comes with all kinds of social issues. So many people move into the city, but there is not enough proper housing for them. A lot of housing gets built in this time, but it's mostly built by private investors, private landowners and landlords, and they're not interested in creating the most affordable, most healthy housing for people, they're interested in making a profit. So they generally build kind of small units that get very packed when families move in that don't have proper sanitary facilities. So the housing situation in the 19th and early 20th century is really dire for the working class.
2: If you look at housing at the beginning of the 20th century or the end of the 19th century, housing was very much left to the private market. Financiers, investors could basically make any money they wanted. One of the results was that for many people in the city, housing conditions back then were quite poor. My name is Justin Cardi. I'm an assistant professor in planning and housing at the Department of Land Economy at the University of Cambridge. In many cases, there were large tenement buildings where people would live but then often in quite poor conditions. There were literally no such things as rent regulation or eviction protections and many people also didn't have their own apartment or even their own room but just shared beds. Some people would sleep during the day and work at night, and others would use the same bed and work during the day and sleep at night. So my answer to your question would be, the housing conditions in the city back then were quite polarized between the more bourgeois, aristocratic part of the city population that lived a quite good life and also was housed in quite good conditions and large parts of the city, the working population, which often struggled to find a good place to live and was in many cases overburdened by rents and threatened by eviction and other housing problems.
0: At the end of World War I, everything changed. The Austro-Hungarian Empire collapsed and the city of Vienna elected a left-wing government led by the Social Democratic Workers' Party the period known as Red Vienna, had begun. After World War I, Austria becomes a republic and the first free elections
1: are held where all men and women are now allowed to vote. On 4th of May 1919, the first communal elections in Vienna happen and the Social Democratic Workers' Party win an absolute majority of the seats in city council. And they are also able to maintain this absolute majority for the rest of the Red Vienna period. What the city government now wants to do is they want to create a new society. They really want to change life for the working class. And they implement reforms in the areas of healthcare, of public welfare. So the city creates all kinds of new institutions and infrastructure like uh, libraries, for example, public swimming pools, public baths where you can go and have a shower, public sports facilities like stadiums, but also outdoor gyms. So it's a very encompassing reform program and housing is one part of that reform program.
2: The Socialist Party in Vienna, they were not, even though they were quite leftist socialists, they were quite pragmatist in orientation. They were not trying to lead a way towards broader revolution and abolition of the capitalist system but they were kind of realistic enough to understand that what they can do on the local level is implement radical reforms and Housing played a big part in this. So it was one of the key ambitions of the program to actually improve housing quality in the city through the social housing program and to have better living conditions there than the dominant private market would offer. So there were certain standards that were set that every social housing unit had to fulfill, such as having... A window and having also a kitchen water inside of the unit, which was not the norm back then, especially not in the private market. They had like these slogans saying, What we want is like air and light. They also had quite some ideas about how social housing should look like on a building block level. So one of the ideas that that was implemented back then was the idea of the super block, meaning that you have like large scale structures, social housing estates like the Karl Marx Hof, for example, which is a residential building which is longer than one kilometer. Still today one of the longest residential buildings in Europe. Then often they would be built in a way that you had like large courtyards around which these social housing units were organized. And within these estates, you would typically have all different kinds of services that people need, things like kindergartens, meeting places, laundry rooms, schools sometimes that were at least clustered around social housing estates. So implementing this idea of providing the basic services for a good life
0: one of the most renowned housing estates was the Karl-Marx-Hof. It offered residents electricity, running water and bathrooms in the apartment.
1: You're right, Karl-Marx-Hof is definitely one of the most well-known of the municipal estates of the Red Vienna period. It was designed by the architect Karl I, a a student of Otto Wagners, who was a very influential turn-of-the-century architect in Vienna. The building is massive, it spans over a kilometre in length, And it used to house around 5,000 people in approximately 1,400 flats. So it's really a big complex. You have very striking architecture. It was really designed as a city within the city. So you had a lot of infrastructure on the estate. And at least for the people who got to live in these units, I mean, they now had more space. They had healthier apartments that they could ventilate properly, for example. Apartments that could get fresh air and sunlight. They had green areas and spaces that they could enjoy in their free time. They had access to books through the libraries. They had access to kind of fun in their free time. They also had more free time now because the eight-hour working day was introduced. So the idea was people sleep for eight hours, work for eight hours, and then they have eight hours of time to themselves that they can kind of enjoy.
0: According to Urban and Development Planner in the city of Vienna, Kurt Hofstetter, these developments were meant to be palaces. Not palaces for the rich, but palaces for the workers.
3: Quite large buildings, and in fact, it was a counteraction, you could say, to the private palaces. They were public palaces, and they were meant as that. There was quite some famous architects involved in producing those palaces for workers. That's why they are still so impressive when you look at them. Many people know the Karl Marx Hof. There are many others, Reumann Hof, with very good architecture, with huge courts inside and many courts one after the other. So you really can walk through them, the large units. And this was also meant to be a visible sign that this is now the palace for the workers. <laughs>
0: The city paid for these palaces for the workers by raising taxes on land and luxury goods. In 1922,
1: Vienna becomes its own federal state. So this is really kind of central to the whole story because Vienna now is not just a municipality, it's also a state. So they can introduce their own taxes and expenses and they do so in a very progressive manner. So the City Council for Finance at the time, Hugo Breitner, introduces For example, a housing tax. So this is a tax that everyone who uses real estate has to pay. So either if you own real estate or if you rent real estate and use it, you have to pay this tax. But then it's very progressive so that the bigger, more luxurious units pay a much higher tax than the kind of smaller, less luxurious units. So in the end, actually 0.5% of the top luxurious real estate ended up contributing around half of the tax revenue of this tax. So it was really a measure of redistributing wealth from the top to the bottom.
0: And so in that period, how many houses were they able to build?
1: So in the Red Vienna period, from 1919 to 1934, more than 60,000 apartments were built in around 380 estates. So there are larger and smaller estates, but in total it came to over 60,000 apartments. And by the end of the Red Vienna period, Around every ninth person in Vienna lived in public housing.
3: Well, definitely. Completely transformed their lives because before that, there were renters of some private companies or private owners that never knew how much would be the rent next month or next year. They could be kicked out all the time. And suddenly they had circumstances that were reliable and affordable. That's a big difference because then you can start to build your life. That was really a difference and that changed a lot for those people.
0: This is Rear Vision. I'm Annabelle Quince. In this program, the story of social housing in the city of Vienna. One in nine Viennese lived in public housing in 1934. But in that year, the Christian Social Party, the dominant right-wing party in Austria, overthrew the democratic system and established a fascist state. The period of Red Vienna had come to a dramatic end.
1: And then in 1938, Austria becomes part of Nazi Germany, and this, of course, means a very big shift in everyday life because the Nazis are much more repressive politically, but even more so when it comes to racial discrimination. So under Nazi rule, people were evicted, they were persecuted on political grounds. And then the Nazis introduced these new racist laws, discriminating and, and persecuting the Jewish population. So inkel of actually 66 families were evicted and many of them were later murdered in the Holocaust.
0: At the end of World War II, Vienna was economically ruined and physically damaged, yet its commitment to social housing remained.
1: After 1945, the city has to rebuild. Vienna was heavily damaged by bombing from the Allies, so around 87,000 apartments were destroyed during World War II, and some of them, of course, were also in the public estates. Kalmaksud was also partly destroyed by bombing, so the city had to rebuild existing housing and they had to build new housing. So actually, from the 1950s through to the 1970s, we see a very high building activity in the public sector and many, many more apartments are
3: built. After World War II, Vienna started again to build this kind of social housing. Of course, it was completely different from the time of Red Vienna because the conditions were so much different. It was very modern to have more stories, higher buildings, more density in the building areas, but huge courtyards and huge parks in between. And that was a very modern way of building and people really wanted to be in those new style, 1960s style of housing. And that kept on also in the 1970s, I would say, a lot of concrete, of course. But the main idea of providing shops and kindergartens and public baths for children and things like that, that maintained. So that was also included in the new developments in the 1960s, 1970s.
0: And how were these new social housing buildings paid for?
3: Yeah, the system changed, of course, after the Second World War. What we then had is a general tax all over Austria. It's about 1% of your income that is bound to social housing. And from the federal system, Vienna is really using this money for investing it for social housing. And then there was a second branch starting to fund social housing by the means of long-term loans very low interest rate. And the payback of these long-term loans is the second branch of income where we can still then invest for new social housing
0: buildings. And were these loans part of the limited housing association model that emerged after World War Two?
3: Exactly. That is exactly the program. There is limited profit housing associations they have to stick to certain rules if they are a company like this. And then they have access to these long-term loans, which is 1% interest rate.
0: Limited profit housing associations emerged in Vienna after World War Two.
2: There's a shift since the 1950s regarding how social housing in the city is provided specifically. Generally, there are two different models how social housing is provided in Vienna. One is what we call council housing, which is basically social housing provided by the city of Vienna and owned and administered also by the city. And the other model is housing provided by so-called limited profit housing associations, housing associations that are allowed to make a small profit. And housing then is owned by these associations and also administered by them. And the origins of social housing in Vienna really were in the council housing stock. And gradually this has shifted over to limited profit housing associations. And so you see from the 1950s onwards that the share of council housing in new construction is going down. Gradually and then more strongly since the 1980s and since the early 2000s. It's largely limited profit housing associations that provide the stock.
1: Typically, what subsidized housing in Vienna means is that you have a building association, a Genossenschaft, as we call it in German, that they develop housing. And then the city subsidizes this by giving loans, very affordable loans, to these associations. And then if you want to live in an apartment, you have to buy into the association. So you have to put down a down payment to contribute to the construction costs. Then you can rent the apartment for quite an affordable price. So this will be cheaper than on the private market and you will usually get quite high quality apartments with balconies, gardens, and so on. And then if you move out again, you will get your down payment back with a deduction for use. So this is kind of a different model You have to have some sort of funds or access to loans to access them because you have to make this down payment so it's not accessible for everyone. In public housing there is no down payment so it's quite
0: accessible to everyone. Since the 1980s, another way the City of Vienna has supported limited profit housing associations is by purchasing land and selling it to these associations at a subsidised price.
3: Vienna was not always a 2 million city. It was more than 2 million before the First World War. And then in the 1980s, beginning of 1980s, it was only 1.5 million. So we lost 600,000 people in that time. And this was exactly the time when the city decided to create a fund that is owned by the city to purchase land that is then offered for social housing. So this fund was able to buy land under quite good conditions because the city was shrinking and then could offer, when the city was starting to grow again, could offer this land to the limited profit housing companies and associations for a low price that made sure that people would also then in the end pay low rents. And this system is still going on. It's called the It's the housing funds of the city. And they are purchasing land and making sure that those limited-profit housing associations get the land and build the subsidized housings.
0: So, if you look at Vienna today, what percentage of people live in social housing?
3: There are different ways to look at that. In fact, we have around forty percent of all the housing units that are existing in the city are either municipality housing or subsidized housing. So they have very safe conditions in terms of low rent and long-term rents. That's quite a big amount. And this big amount also leads to the fact that it lowers the level of rents also in the private market, because it's such a big amount. In these 40% of flats, there is 45% or even more of the Viennese population. And then we still have In the private sector, there's also some system of subsidized housing in the existing housing stock. When people want to renovate their house, they can have access to some subsidies from the city under the condition that they then offer safe renting conditions for at least 15 years for these people. So there is a lot of people also living in that stock. In total, it's almost 60% of the population that's living in some kind of subsidized housing.
0: In terms of public housing, how does someone actually access it? Do you have to be the sort of poorest of the poor or can anyone, I guess, get access to this kind of public housing?
1: So if you want to rent an apartment in the public housing sector today, you have to meet a certain set of criteria to be eligible. You have to be 17 years old by the time you apply. You cannot earn over a certain amount of money, but the income bar is quite high. So public housing is open to most of the population. You have to have lived in Vienna for two years by the time you apply. You have to be either an Austrian citizen, EU citizen, EWR citizen, or for example, a refugee, according to the Geneva Convention, or a long-term resident, and then you can apply. And you have to prove a need for housing. So this is probably the most important criterion. So if you already live in an apartment that is big enough for your family, that is affordable, then you don't have a need for housing and you're not going to have access to public housing. But for example, if you move out from home for the first time, if your contract expires and you have to move out, if you, for example, need an apartment that is more accessible because you've become older and your old apartment is not accessible, Then you have a need for housing. So you need to prove that you need an apartment and then you can apply. Sometimes it goes quite fast. So especially if it's an urgent case, you can be in your apartment in a couple of months. Some people maybe wait a bit longer, but generally the waiting times are not very extensive.
0: Compared to the private rental market, what is the level of rent paid by tenants in social housing and how secure is their tenure?
2: Compared to the private rental market, the rent that you pay is much lower, about 25 to 30% lower. Of course, there is some variation with some council housing being a bit more expensive and others less, the same for the limited profit housing. But overall, you pay about a third less than on the private rental market. How secure are you? Once you moved in, you're pretty secure. If you are in the private rental market, what you would usually have Nowadays in Vienna, you would have a temporary contract. So the rental contract would be three or five years. And then after that, if the contract ends, then if you're lucky, you get a new one. If you're unlucky, then you have to find a place somewhere else. Temporary contracts usually don't exist in the social housing stock. So you would typically get a permanent contract. And then once you move into social housing and you pay rent, then you could basically live there forever. There is also different ways how you can actually pass on your unit to your children. So you could even keep the unit within the family once you die.
0: And has there been any attempt to privatise social housing in Vienna, as we've seen in other major cities around the world?
2: There were several attempts, but overall the trend was much milder than in most other contexts. Council housing, social housing owned by the city, has not been privatized at all. There were rules introduced in the limited profit housing sector that tenants were allowed to buy the apartment in which they lived. Very similar, actually, to the right-to-buy program in the United Kingdom. But interestingly, not many people have actually done this In terms of numbers, what is important to say is that privatization has not been as strong as new production. Basically, since the 1980s, the the stock has slightly grown and overall remained pretty stable. So it has certainly not declined because of privatization. Today, in limited profit housing, for every three units that are constructed in the city, about one is privatized for a right to buy. So it's not that this has not happened, but then it has kind of been outweighed by continued production. And in that sense, the stock overall has remained quite stable.
3: The main factor that makes a difference to other cities is that we never gave up on the general attitude. We did not sell our housing stock. In fact, we kept the attitude of the Red Vienna, but we always changed the measures But the attitude is the same, which is providing as much as possible, affordable housing to as many people as possible.
2: I think on a comparative basis, things here are really much better than elsewhere. Having such a large part of the market being decommodified provides such better housing conditions for so many people who could not afford comparable housing conditions on the private market. Housing quality in the social housing stock is usually much higher than in the private rental stock. So if you are able to enter social housing, you can really enjoy life there. Then it's often in quite well-accessible locations. It often has things like balconies, terraces. There's also many projects that have like swimming pools on the rooftop. So I think in that sense, I think Vienna is a case that has developed a model that is working for many people and that is able to significantly improve housing conditions for many low- and middle-income households in the city.
1: Definitely, Vienna is better than other cities when it comes to the housing market. But in the private sector, rents and also real estate prices have risen significantly in the last years. So we have rent control for older apartments, but for new developments, they can ask any rent they want. And rents have risen a lot. And again, real estate prices, so if you want to buy real estate, this has become very, very expensive very rapidly. But I do think that having such a large public housing sector and subsidized housing sector is really important because there is a large amount of affordable alternatives to the private market, especially for those people who've lived in Vienna for a longer time. So for the newcomers, it's more difficult to access the public sector. So for the newcomers, it will probably be most expensive but generally speaking, yes. So if you compare rent prices in Vienna to other big cities in Europe and also in the world,
0: our rent is significantly lower. Julia Anna Schrantz, historian at the University of Vienna. My other guests, Justin Cardi, assistant professor of planning and housing at the University of Cambridge. And Kurt Hofstetter, urban development planner in the city of Vienna. The sound engineer is Anne Marie Debettencor. I'm Annabelle Quince, and this is Rear Vision. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the
3: ABC Listen app.